Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of God Built This Podcast. I'm your host, Maxine. We're on episode 103. And I'm joined with a colleague of mine, Mr. Jones, T. Jones. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. You know, it's uh, long overdue, but I'm glad you made it. <laughs> and um, the reason why I wanted you on this show, because I know you have, you're an intellectual. You're... Um, a strong thinker, a critical thinker, an independent thinker. And I just want to hear your thoughts on whatever we talk about today. And I want to get started on this um, this controversy that's happening with inmates suddenly having access to TikTok, to Instagram, IG stories. And I'm gonna just going to pull up the clip real quick and play it so our listeners could hear. All right. Okay. So here we have um, the real, and these ladies are talking about inmates, how they are um, suddenly having more access to social media and the uproar of what that is and what that looks like. So let's take a listen. recently reported that many inmates in prison across the country are making TikTok videos and it's going viral. Videos show them dancing, doing food tutorials, or just hanging out. I mean, some people think that because, you know, phones are considered contraband that they shouldn't be doing it. But others think it helps combat the stereotypes associated with incarceration. What do you think? Are you? All right, let's, uh, let's get into this. I just want to say, like, I feel like being in this country, being in the society, we are too hypersensitive, too focused on the wrong things. Um, and maybe I'm biased because I have a, a cousin who's incarcerated and I don't give a fuck if he's on TikTok. Like, I don't care if he's on TikTok. I don't care if he wants to do the new dance move. And I don't feel like it's offensive. But um, there was another point raised that, well, if I had, you know, an in, or if I knew someone in prison who murdered a loved one of mine and I saw him doing a new savage dance, then mm -hmm. I'm offended. Like, I, what say you? I, I say that the criticism to uh, people enjoying basic luxuries in prison, um, it it mirrors um, it mirrors this this quest to like dehumanize people in prison. Um, I mean, like they're on TikTok, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, I mean, they're not harming anyone. Like, they are just participating in the in the basic functions of American society, which is the self-aggrandizing social media, you know, performance. Like, that's literally all it is. Um, so, like, this push to exclude them from these basic human activities is just another, to me, it, it's another like activity or action that is meant to show like, these are just not human beings, you know, because of whatever mistakes they made in the past, they're not human beings and therefore they should not be able to participate in these human activities. Um, yeah, it's just like dehumanization of prisoners and like that I don't fully get. Um, so while I, I understand there's this natural human reaction to, you know, be punitive as possible. You're in prison, right? Be, you should be sad. You should be, you know, restricted from any, any and all type of fun. You should be whatever, like, no, why? <laughs> like they're, they're in prison, they're, they're serving their time. 
Um, especially somebody as myself who's, you know, anti-prison, you know, because the, the, the act of prison as itself is just a dehumanizing concept. No, I have no issue with, you know, people enjoying themselves. Um, as long as it's not infringing on the health of others, then no, I have no issue with it. And I also feel like, well, okay, maybe it's not something everyone wants to see. You know, maybe people don't mm. want to see those who have been, um, those who are incarcerated to to have fun. I don't want to see them have mm. fun. Why are they laughing? They should be continuously in turmoil for what they did. And there's not, there's no account taken into, well, there's a lot of people in prison who are not supposed to be there, who are not right. um, well sought out there's not enough evidence for them to still be in there and there's a lot of racism obviously taken into place for their for their um place in prison and i were worried about the wrong things and i think about okay well you know since black lives matter has been such a strong movement since uh you know uh, george floyd and just this whole summer there's this push for abolitionist movement or just uh mm -hmm just anti-prison, anti-police, anti-anti-it-all, and anti-this system. And I'm still trying to grapple with what does that look like? You mentioned how you're you're against prisons, essentially. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like when we move into, or if we do move into a world where there is no consequence? Well, I think that, and I'm not fully developed in my ideology on, you know, abolition, prison abolition, I do think those who have committed nonviolent crimes should be released from prison. Um, for those who suffer from, you know, drug addiction, they should be in treatment centers. I think those who um, are in prison for selling drugs, um, you know, especially drugs that are now semi-legal in America, should be given some type. So they should be put in some type of program where they can now make money off of these things legally. Um, that we've you know semi-legalized like uh certain it's i think florida was it florida some uh some state just pretty much legalized damn near every drug <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> you know, was it wisconsin or something like meth is legal oregon one of those states um yeah everything meth weed cocaine like everything's legal so like for those for those people who are in prison for non-violent crimes yeah, like they should be released or they should be put in the treatment centers or some type of um, work program where they can make money on, on a legal basis. Uh, for those violent crimes, you know, I think obviously depending on the, on the level of violence, but, you know, it, I, just to rewind, I think if, if more people had like access to well-paying jobs then we would have less violent crime. But since we do, you know, I think you know, we, we look at the scales of violence from which people are actually in prison and we decide, you know, how long they actually have to stay there. Like, what do, how, how can we reacclimate them in society truly? Like, um, that's what I think it looks like. I just think it looks like a, a culture to where we value people regardless of the mistakes that they made. Um, and we just have a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a more caring society. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I think a lot of these problems take take care of themselves and we start breaking down like these systemic um castes, you know, institutions, 
then yeah, we we help create a society where people can create can make a mistake that lands them in some type of you know temporary you know restrictive restriction, and then they can also be you know reintroduced into society um, in a true form and not just thrown out with with nowhere to go, no you know no access to housing, no access to capital, no access to like well paying jobs. Mm-hmm. So giving them the act, so doing the work before they even. Yes. get a chance to go in prison like well before we let's before that step let's uh give them jobs let's give them quality education mm-hmm. let's you know have safer neighborhoods <laughs> now there's this um push to like well you know i want people who are seemingly more caring to be on the front lines and um i think feminism i used to call myself a feminist now i'm leering away from that word because I feel like it's now become an anti-men movement. I, as much shit I talk about niggas, like I talk a lot of shit about niggas. Like that's my niche. Like that's my thing. So do I. What? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, like black men is just like, I wouldn't have a podcast without black men. Like it's because of y'all. I have a podcast and as much as I talk shit about y'all, I do love y'all. Like you guys are the forefront. Like I love my dad. I love my, mm-hmm. I love the men in my family. And um, I just still, I don't see the need to change. So there's this movement to, or just conversations happening about, well, you know, women should be more of the face of police. Um, we should see women um, pulling us over. We should see women, um, you know, writing us tickets or fighting crime. And uh, this might sound a little controversial. I just don't necessarily feel that safety or protection or like if I'm afraid of the big bad wolf, I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to call and my mom's a bad woman. Like she's she's fierce, too. But I immediately instinctively will call a man. I just, I don't feel like there's no need to change a police force. I think we should instead, okay, there's bad apples, of course. Move the bad apples, not necessarily meaning take all the men out and have only women. I think something's wrong with the tree. <laughs> like, I think mm. that the tree, the, the tree, tree is <laughs> Yeah, so like if the tree is fucked, uh, like the, the bad apples, I mean, uh, instinctively, they're all bad apples because the, the, the tree is bad or the, the harvest is bad. Um, I don't care who pulls me over as long as there is a, a system in place that holds them accountable for any wrongdoing that happens within that, in that interaction. Um, but I mean, I've had bad experiences with female cops. I've had bad experiences with male cops. Like I'm, as a black man, I'm trained to not trust either one of them. I mean, and it's not necessarily because of who they are individually, it's because of the system that they are, the armor, basically, the, the muscle behind. So, um, it, like, I, I, again, I don't care. Like, to me, it, it just doesn't matter. Um, to me, it's, it's more of a systemic thing. But um, it, it, I, just going with what you said about, like, not calling yourself a feminist, um, I sh- I believe in feminist ideology. You know, I, I just the true definition, like this, the equality, social equality, uh, economic equality, um, you know, of between men and women. Um, would I call myself a feminist? 
I don't know if I've ever used that word to describe myself because I just don't feel like I've done all the work to like deserve that title. So like I stick to the ideology. I believe in the ideology. I just believe in equality, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, that's just, that's me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, yes, the, the, the system is fucked. That's really the root of it all. <laughs> the tree needs to be repotted. The, the plant is, is rotten, all of that. Um, I just think about like and that there's women. Here's the thing, and then like I've experienced women who are in power, you know, in high positions, whether it's you know just in a regular workplace, it could be at at, at a school campus or um, at corporate offices. And suddenly, when women get into power, and call me anti women too, but like I I don't like them. Like I just don't feel like. <laughs> Because, you know, for so many years, women have not been given the, the, the opportunity to have power. And now when they do have power, it's it's like, oh, well, I'm going to abuse this power as much as I can. I'm going to condescend you. I'm going to be so condescending. I'm going to be so, um, so elite in my in my role that there's there's I feel like there's a lot of relearning that we all have to do when it comes to what power looks like, what power means what consent mm. means, all of that. So it's not a man, a woman thing argument, I guess off mm. top men naturally, you know, I see them as protect and provide women. Naturally, I see us as, you know, nurturing and caring and all of these things. So I think it's, you know, I just, it's hard. It's hard because it's, it's a lot of different different factors here, I would say. And I just don't have a, a, a direct answer. I wonder how endemic it is for human beings, especially people who come from marginalized groups to be distrustful of people who more so mirror what they look like, right? Because we all, we know ourselves to be infallible. You know, we all know ourselves to be flawed. I know where my issues as a man lay. So I'm, I guess I'm more trained to look at other men, black men in certain, you know, spaces and be more critical. Right. Like I don't like maybe it, it's with us being critical towards people who look like us in these positions, we're really being critical about ourselves. Like, I wonder how much of that like has to do with it. You know, like mm. as growing up, like me, my friends, just everybody we knew, we were, we were anti-authority. But, you know, but authority mostly looked like us. Like, you know, I had black principals and black assistant principals, especially black male principals and black male assistant principals. And we bucked at them more so than we did black women or white women. Like, I don't know. I don't I, I don't have a, a, a good answer for it, but it's just a, like something I've, I've noticed in my 35 years it's just like people just buck back at people mostly who look like them you know maybe yeah. it's a, a self-reflective thing i don't know that's a very good point that made me really think about because when <laughs> i was growing up i didn't have a lot if not any i would say okay my kindergarten teacher was a black woman my middle school years i had one black teacher and he was the music teacher so I saw him like once every two weeks. It wasn't even a big deal. Everyone else pretty much was white. And in undergrad, that's when I finally had a little bit more black professor. No, I only had one black professor. He was my favorite. He was amazing. So I guess, yeah, I think it's a authority thing. I think it's a 
like you know how there's this like black hole like you immediately see another mm-hmm. black person after only seeing white people and you give a head nod and now i'm supposed to respect you now i'm supposed to uh, you know acquiesce to you and what if what if you're not like i think a lot of black people who are in high positions tend to be white in a way mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is like they forget where they come from they forget who they are and they look down on you like oh look at me i I made it and now i'm supposed to treat you like you know like this little you know dirt so um yeah i think i am distrustful of black people in power if i don't know them personally and if yeah i think that's really it i i am distrustful i and it sucks to say that out loud but i feel more inclined to just follow or just go ahead and be in line, I guess, with the, the white person in power. Oh my gosh, that's horrible to say out loud, but I <laughs> I don't know. Why why is that? I, think, I mean I think over overall we should be distrustful of anybody in power until they like prove themselves otherwise. Like it's I, I think it's just a it's an unlearning. Honestly, like we're at this precipice in in society to where we're just unlearning everything. And like we have to unlearn the the super conscious things um, as well as the subconscious things that go on in our brains. Like you just went through a little, a a metacognitive subconscious, like self-reflection on your, you know, your relationship with authority. Like, I think we're all doing that to some degree. Um, and in doing that, like we start to uncover some things, you know, I, I gotta, I don't realize how vain I am until I'm just scrolling and, <laughs> and I, I see somebody that I don't think is attractive, you know, then up to my standards. And I remember doing that, like it was a few weeks ago. I was just looking at like one of my old students pictures on Facebook or Instagram or something. And like, he had, you know, a woman with him and I was just like, that's what we're doing. And like, and I had to stop myself and like, why do first, why do I care what this woman looks like? Two, you know, just because she doesn't meet my, you know, very, very like vain standard of like beauty, then like, does that make her not beauty beautiful or does that make her not realize, you know, living up to my standard, which who cares about my standards? So like it's these, these little things that just that, that go on that we just have to unlearn. First we have to like self-reflect and figure those things out and then we have to unlearn them. Hmm. Damn. Yeah, we do have to unlearn them. Um, when I think about beauty standards, though, I feel like, like, who the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> I'm quickly asking the question of, like, why, why this person and not that person? Or why, you know, like, I think about, okay, so undergrad, that was finally a pool where I'm in, and I see um many many white people my high school years i was amongst other black people and it was more diverse Mm -hmm. um undergrad i many white people there were black people of course but it wasn't as like it was a community of black people that's how many black Mm -hmm. people it was and though when i saw the black men i'm like oh my oh excited to see black men exciting and then I see the black men with their white girlfriends. I'm just immediately, I feel rejected. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even know them. I don't even know them. I just met them. It's freshman year. And I'm immediately feeling rejected because I look at this black brother. I look at this man and I'm like, 
he's dark skinned like me. He's he's he has mm -hmm. similar features and you know, he comes from the same block as I do, or he's from Boston too. And all of these things, I'm like, oh, but how did we get here? Like, mm -hmm. and this white, like, it's not even like a, you know how there's white girls who, who, you know, appear kind of black, you know, kind of Rachel Dolezal type of yeah. black, white girls and, you know, try to get down or be down. This white girl was white girl, like blonde Pretty. hair. Like, <laughs> this was a white girl, you know, blue eyes. I'm just like... How do we get there? And so I immediately felt rejected. I don't even know this man. So I'm mm. wondering, like, I think, you know, I know we're going so, like, we're going in different ways in this conversation, but like, I think about the standard of beauty or suddenly when black men or has a black man, you know, what does that look like when you are now in a new environment? Say if you grew up with all black women and mm. you suddenly, have a non-black woman as has your spouse, has your mate, or has a girlfriend at the time, and she's you know she's not looking like the same girls who you grew up with. What does that mean? Is was that a conscious choice, or was that something that you just naturally fell for? I mean, I think it depends on the man. Um, I've seen I've seen men choose partners outside of their race for different reasons. I've seen you know men. Myself included, um, I, I dated a Hispanic um, woman about three and a half years. It was my longest relationship until my, you know, marriage, basically. Um, I I chose her. I mean, I just I met her. You know, I met her at a party um, at U of H, and we hit it off, and it was cool. Um, I've seen men choose, you know, women outside their partner because they wanted to like juxtapose black women, you know, for, you know, for some reason, like, I've, you know, these different tropes or these different mythologies that, you know, about black women um, that, you know, we still see that black women are difficult. Black women are, they don't submit or, you know, whatever, whatever. So like, it just depends on the man, honestly. Um, I'm very, very unsure. <laughs> I, I, I do not trust men who choose people outside their, their, um, their race because of some type of mythology or ideology that they have about black women. Like those, I, I try to stay away from those men as much as possible, but you know, normally it should just be, I find this person attractive. Um, we, we vibe with each other on a personality um, perspective and we move forward from there. But I've also seen like those relationships that, that happen out of like this natural, just, attraction like evolve into something else like you know uh you know even though i got with this person because i was attracted to him and we vibe with each other now they become like this anti-proxy for you know the women that i've dated in the past like we go through these mental gymnastics in these relationships and um they reveal a lot about people especially when race is, is thrown in there they reveal a lot like they I, as soon as I saw him with that white woman, I'm like, oh, he hates his mom. <laughs> that, that was the conclusion. Media. That was it. Like, I don't care if he loves his mom. No, he hates his mom. <laughs> he hates his mom. He hates his sister. He hates himself. Oh, I, mm. I wrote it off. And of course there's like, of, I, like, I'm not talking about the ones who I just, you know, we grew up together. She's my best friend mm. or like, you know, obviously, but I just feel like, 
you hate your mother. Like, I just, I think there's something else there. But yes, I think I, I take it personal. I take it personal because it's, it, it just, I feel rejected. I feel like, mm -hmm. oh, if I walk into this room and um, a white girl is beside me, you'll immediately see her. Like, there's a ray of light around her. And I'm just like, oh, well, we, like, we're, we're of the same ilk, you know? You know, and I think also like with black men, it's just you you mentioned how you know you just you know you find a person attractive and it's like okay, that's cool and all, but y'all have more of an openness or I would say a privilege because I don't find white men attractive. Like I don't look at them or like I don't even see them. Like I don't see them. Like mm -hmm. they will have to walk by me and be like, wow, I just I don't see them yet. Y'all just be seeing them. I'm just like, oh, seeing the white women. I just well, it, you'd be surprised at how many black men see white women or just non-black women in general as like a status symbol, you know, or like right. this ticket into uh, which is funny. I, I just, I'm literally finishing up, like meaning I'm on like the last page of um, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. And, you know, earlier in the, in the book, one of the earlier chapters, she talks about how the thing about this, this cast is so ironclad that, like, you can't really wear, you can't marry yourself into, like, this, this higher status, this higher tier, uh, this hierarchy. Um, but, you know, people try. <laughs> people, you know, I have this white woman, you know, she comes with this level of, of status. Um, so, in doing that, I get to marry myself to her status, and it just doesn't work like that in the grand scheme. Um, but yeah, like you'd be very surprised at how many men, like not just see women, white women, or you know, Latino women as like the status symbol, but they just they see them subconsciously. Like a lot of them don't even know it, but like a lot of dudes do hate their mothers. <laughs> like a lot of dudes do hate their sisters. They do hate their aunts. Like at least they hate what they represent. To them, mm -hmm. you know, they may not hate them individually. They they love their mother, they love their sister, but they hate that together. Me and this black woman represent like two sides of the same coin, which is like we're at the bottom of this this hierarchy uh, in American society. Um, and yeah, they they resent themselves. They resent the women in their lives. Like, and a lot of them don't even know they do it, but mm -hmm. through the different levels of sexism and, and, and patriarchy and any things that um, become embedded within like our ecosystems. Yeah, like some resentment goes from that. And I think a lot of that does lead to some of the decisions that people make with the partners they choose to settle down with. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Black men hate their mothers. That's what, that's the title of this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Speaking of resentment, um, Dave Chappelle has a lot of resentment towards any digital platform streaming site that is playing his show, the Dave Chappelle show. And, you know, some say it's iconic. I was never really on the Dave Chappelle train when he first came out or like the earlier years. I just, I didn't get it at the time. It just wasn't my jive. I love Chris Rock, but it's funny now the he had two Netflix specials that came out probably two years apart, like pretty recent mm -hmm. that I love. Like, it's really funny. And like, I like him. I like his comedy for the most part. I do, you know, I, I 
you know, now we're living in such a politically correct time. You know, you can't say, you can't say anything about homosexuals, about transgender, about anybody. You can't make a joke about women. And if you do, you're a misogynist. And I'm, if I could be less politically incorrect, I would. Like I, I, I wake up every day. I'm thinking, how can I be less politically correct? Like I love to just be honest, and I hate this whole policing that we have, especially around comedy. That's the whole, that's the whole point of comedy. But anyway, that's my mm-hmm. whole little rant about that. Dave Chappelle is going out, and he's having these little, um, ten minute, twenty minute, um, PSAs. And he's not telling jokes. And I'm just upset about that. Like, I hate that. Like, I get it. He's a great storyteller. He is. I give him that. But I want to hear some jokes. I don't want to hear about how upset you are being this multimillionaire. I don't know his pockets. But let's, like, I think it's fair to say he's a millionaire. And you're complaining about not having uh you know not getting paid and not getting the the residue of your labor and that's real and i get that but i also just don't care like i don't give a fuck and i want to play this clip real quick of him sharing his disdain resentment all of that and i just i was not here for it so let's just play a quick clip of it They're going to pay me for this show. I called my agent. I said, is there anything I can do about this show? And he said, no. Well, fuck you do that. You want something done right? I guess you got to do it yourself. So I'm not going to the agents. I'm coming to my real boss. I'm coming to you. I'm begging you. If you ever like me. If you ever think there was anything worthwhile about me, I'm begging you, please don't watch that show. I'm not asking to boycott any network. Boycott me. Boycott Chappelle's show. Do not watch it unless they pay me. All right. I, Mm -hmm. what say you? What say you? Um, I say that, um, so, multi-front, multi-layered front. Um, I too would like Dave Chappelle to tell more jokes these things. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, but like these little, I, I guess, Lucy's that he does, like little 20 minute Lucy's um, are, from what I understand, is like him at smaller comedy clubs where he kind of like tests out material, um, especially for like the big Netflix stuff that he's absolutely getting paid millions for. Um, so like I don't have an issue with it. I I do understand like the larger thematic point that he's making. Um, I I, I, under, I understand people saying like, hey, I just don't care about this plight that you're going through. Like you you know you have one of the most popular like sketch shows ever. You know and you're not getting paid from it now. Like okay, but you're you're a multimillionaire now. Um, the the funny thing about it with Dave Chappelle uh, is that he's asking for the same thing that he's not, he doesn't really provide a lot of the groups that he, you know, tells jokes about, you know, people, LGBTQ, trans, transgender people, like people who want to be called a certain way or treated a certain way. Like he kind of discards that a little bit in the sake of comedy. Um, so like, I find that ironic. Um, 
but ultimately, like, I'm a Dave Chappelle fan. Like, just full disclosure, like, I was in college. Like, at, I was at the beginning of college. Matter of fact, I was at the end of high school when the Chappelle show came out. And talk about, like, the perfect timing. It was like, like that's, that's like catching lightning in a bottle. Like, I've been mm-hmm. fortunate enough in, in my life to be born around, like, these perfect moments in time to, like, really, like, catch the, the zeitgeist of some really popular things. And, like, Chappelle show was one of those things. And from there... Like he's just been one of my favorite comics, but um, I get what you know. I, I get the we're in this larger fight, honestly. I, I, like so many of these things are are larger than what they seem uh, on the surface. Like we're just in this larger anti labor fight in America, just in general. Like we're seeing more corporations just disregard workers. Well, from you know your multi millionaires in sports and entertainment, all the way to you know, teacher unions, you know, they're like, so we, we see corporations just disregard the, the, the feelings, the, the work, um, the intellectual property of people underneath them, you know, then, and um, I think that we can't lose sight of that. Like the fight that he's fighting is not something that we can necessarily relate with because we're talking about this super popular show where you can, where he had the opportunity to make a lot of money from. But the larger fight is we should feel some level of empathy for just intellectual property being stolen because this is happening in so many different pockets, you know, across the world, honestly, not even just America. So, yeah, but I, I would like Dave to also address the fact that the same thing that you're asking from Netflix and Comedy Central these groups who are who have less power than he has are asking the same from him. Um, so, did you see? Okay, <laughs> I I hear you. I agree, right? I agree. <laughs> but <laughs> that joke, he—I forgot which Netflix special it was. It was one of the two that he released like back to back, and he made mm. the joke with the LGBT, like going in the van. All right, I'm the L. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like okay, I hear you. Yes, and we should um, have rights. But that shit was funny. Like, no, like, no, that shit was funny. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't have to lie about that. That's like, this shit is funny. Right, this shit's funny. Like, everyone gets these jokes. Like, I don't, yeah. I, 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 I'm a woman. I, I'll get these jokes. I'm a daughter yeah. of immigrants. I'll get these jokes. Like, I have all of these, you know, all these labels we want to put on people. Mm-hmm. Everyone get these jokes. Like, you're not exempt. So, I, right. I was going to say that. But, um, Monique. Just last year was mm-hmm. like, hey y'all, um, Netflix is not paying me my worth. Netflix right. uh is is uh being sexist, is being misogynistic and racist. She she pulled out all of the cards and suddenly everyone's laughing Monique out the park. Like Monique, the park is Monique, mm-hmm. like suddenly all of her credentials was out the window, and I'm just like, wait, how are we instant like instantaneously we are giving dave Chappelle all the support and yes i agree with ip you know protect your ip protect what's yours you no one should take your name and make money off of it make millions off of it and you not get anything like right i agree I just want to understand where was that energy for Monique? Where was that 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 angst for her? I I was riding for her, and 
I think, you know, people like to laugh at, well, it's the number that she requested. She, I forgot yeah. which, how much she wanted, but she wanted a lot of money. And I feel like we as civilians, right? Regular folks in this, in the society, we look at a, a, a specific millionaire number and we laugh it out the park. Like, girl, you, you not worthy of that. And it's unfair. You know, I love Monique. Monique had me crying. She is the original queen of comedy. And it's unfair how we dismissed her. We didn't even give her an opportunity to go on this train. You know, she was on The View uh, on this tour, you know, telling her her side of things. And Whoopi Goldberg, another black comedian, black female comedian, laughed her out the park too. And it was just like so sad. Like, where is the support mm -hmm. for, for, and I don't want to make this whole black women, black men thing, but it's like, it's blaringly in my face that, oh, the difference is she's, she is a woman and she's not getting the same treatment. And yet this other comedian is instantly getting this mm -hmm. treatment. <laughs> It's uh yeah, well, well Monique, like she was really just asking for pay that was on the level of other top comedians. Um, I don't even I I don't remember if she was asking for like the same number that Dave Chappelle got or the same number that Chris Rock got. It's just like she did she felt she deserved to be paid on the same scale, you know, uh that and you know, I applaud her for fighting for it, you know. Now if you would have told me head off that um, Monique is getting the same amount as Dave Chappelle, you know, based on their level of, you know, their accomplishments, whatever, you know, argument could be made. Yeah, he, he should be paid more, but like, ultimately who cares about that argument? Like, um, there are people who are less talented than Monique who are getting paid, you know, millions out the ass, you know what I'm saying? Because, Amy uh, Schumer. Reason. Oh my, yeah, Amy Schumer. You know, like that should, like that should never happen. You know, so I, I, I do, I support her, her fight. Um, and now I think ultimately that's what we all should get behind. Like, if you want, you can quibble about whether she deserves to make fifty million, like Dave Chappelle made fifty million. I don't. I, I want people to make as much money as possible. One, two, we should support that fight. We should support somebody willing to take on big corporations and say, I deserve this because of this um so yeah i supported her i supported her fight mm -hmm. yeah. and i just think people can't forget the parkers i love that show like when you say you grew up on dave Chappelle, you know i grew up on the parkers that was my shit like upn that was the network the parkers um moesha half oh, and yeah. half like oh, yeah. all Girlfriend. of us Girlfriends, oh, yeah, yeah. that's on oh, Netflix yeah. right now. Like, what? I still <laughs> sing the Parkers theme song. Like, and I'm still thinking, like, hey, the, I'm still trying to do the runs. <laughs> like, that's the shit. Like, she oh, deserves yeah. 50 million for just for that show. <laughs> just for I that mean, show. Comic, comic View, she's headlining. Comic tour. View. She's, yeah, she's, she's, she's a pioneer. She's she deserves, a pioneer. She deserves her flowers. When she was giving, um, she was she did a comedy show for incarcerated women, and that was a nice show. It was on the Oxygen Network. Like, can we stop doing that? 
I just, you know, there needs to be some fairness along the lines when it comes to the fight that we're fighting. It's all the same fight. So why can't she have the cake too? Why can't she eat just as much as, you know, Dave Chappelle? And, you know, you know, we could argue on whether or not it's the same caliber and that's fine, but she needs to be in that tier some way. So it, that, it just- I agree, I agree. Pissed me off. So Summer Walker is- oh. um, you know, I love her. I do love her. Her anxious ass. I do love her. I just, uh, she recently, yeah, it's like a lot, right? Okay. So she recently revealed that she's pregnant with London, the tracks baby. And I, I guess I have a complex about pregnancy, about parenthood. So instantly I, I just, I'm not the one who gets super excited when someone gets pregnant. I just, I don't really care. Like, I just like, okay, you know, if that's what you wanted. Cool. Great. I'm not like, you know, some people react and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I can't believe. Like, I just, I just don't really, I go about my day. I don't really care. And mm -hmm. yes, it's a blessing to have children. I think it's an honor. Of course. I just also see it. I, I think logistically more than with my heart. And sometimes it's a burden. Sometimes it's not, but like, I think sometimes like, well, Lately, we've been seeing a lot of reports of her, you know, blocking him or um, saying on and off, they're on and off or, you know, talking shit about him online and seeing this news that she got pregnant. My instant thought was not, oh, my gosh, congratulations. Amazing. It was like, oh, damn, with him, like, you know, he's a baby daddy. <laughs> like, it wasn't like, I'm not happy for you. Like, I just, <laughs> what? Like, I. I, and it goes back again with the PC culture. Like you gotta instantly be happy when someone's pregnant. Like, no, I'm not happy. I'm not happy for you because <laughs> it doesn't seem like a, I mean, I don't know the environment, of course. They may be very happy, but like, it just doesn't seem like that. Um, She recently posted what she said. So she said, black men gotta start doing better when it comes to being a father. My grandfather lame, my father lame, and this nigga lame. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> shit. Um, I just, I mean, she goes on to really go rash him and she basically talks about just his um, lack of presence in her, in in his children's life. Um, he has children before um, Summer Walker got pregnant with his other child. And um, why, I mean, I think it's a lot of questions here, but this, my first question is why, why, <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Like, why are we, you know, she's a black woman, he's a black man, and this is another story of black men and black women who are unmarried and continuing this baby mama, baby daddy stereotype. Why is that? Um, well, that stereotype extends beyond race, though. Like, um, like this study, multiple studies show like that black men are actually more involved in their children's lives um compared to men of other races um so what it i think what it, what it comes down to is we all know a lot of people in general who are not good parents mm -hmm. <laughs> we know we know a lot of men in general who are not actively in their ch child's life or not as active as they should be we just happen to be black meaning we know a lot of black men um so like that skews our you know perspective on black men but like as for as many black men as i see who are who have multiple baby mamas who are you know 
in prison who are, you know, just struggling to stay employed, whatever, um, who are not as, as present in their kids' lives as they should. I know a shitload of dudes who are, you know, taking JC Penny pictures every damn uh, Christmas and stuff like that. So like, that's, that's one thing Two, um, we have to remember that. I don't think some, Summer Walker would not be the, the poster, you know, woman for like great mothers herself. Like, I think that's just a toxic relationship in general. Like both of them have, I think have issues that they need to work through. And I love Summer Walker. I love her music, but like, I have no reason to listen to Summer Walker when she's not recording. <laughs> like she just, she's not, she's not the most well-read person. <laughs> like that's just, <laughs> so um, you are not following her her parenting tips? <laughs> I, am, I am most certainly. I'm not following her dieting tips. I'm not following her um, her views on you know politics and stuff like that. And I say that as somebody who follows her on social media, and I see these things. I just keep scrolling. You know, I, <laughs> I love her music. You know, <laughs> I just keep scrolling. But um, yeah. I, I don't care either. Like I just, that's just a, it just seems like a bad relationship. Like, and you tend to think about, okay, now we're going to raise a child in this environment where he has other children who are in this environment. And it's just like that part, that, that particular cycle, the London cycle, I'm not a big fan of, but uh, London, uh, London on the track is not representative of the larger <laughs> black male. So he's not the spokesperson. <laughs> he's not the spokesperson. Like we don't, we don't follow him. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Thank God. Um, I, you know, I, I believe a great album is on its way for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I also want. I just want better for all of us, black men, black women. And yes, there are many white fathers and maybe Indian fathers who are not in their lives uh, of their children. And, um, you know, I think about just, you know, the structure of a black family, the, the black home and how it was eradicated from the beginning from, you know, um, our enslaved ancestors days. And I, I'm wondering, like, what, you know, it's so many years past slavery. We're 2020, and there's been some progression, right, in just race relations and just um, just Black equity and what that looks like now compared to how it was then. I'm still, I just, it, it just cringes me a little whenever I see yet another um, single Black mother and when I see yet another single Black father and yet when I see another broken family home. Like I dated this guy and my listeners know him has Boston Bay. I keep on talking about this nigga, but cause he, <laughs> you know how you leave a toxic <laughs> relationship and you realize, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this was a really tough, like this really fucked me up, like mentally, emotionally. And I remember one time I was with him and you know, we, we chilling on his bed. Everything's cool. He gets a call from his baby mama and there is, um, some miscommunication they were talking about pickup time for their son and i guess she was still talking about something he immediately got annoyed and just hung up on her and i'm just laying in bed with him like oh <laughs> like this is uncomfortable <laughs> you're gonna talk to her like that and he and at that time i'm like like i'm still growing into who i am every day and at that time i wasn't has i am right now enough right like i wasn't as mm -hmm. vocal enough so 
in that time, I'm I'm thinking these thoughts like, damn, this is how he talked to her. And yes, I don't know their their intricacies in their relationship, but I just think again of wow, why, why, why are you speaking to her like that? Like she birthed your <laughs> child. And yes, your child's eight. And you know, of course, there's not these instant lustful or romantic relationships or feelings for th this woman anymore, because so many years past the, the birth of their their child. But I, I think about just, there is just a lack of respect. There's also just a lack of proper decision making when we start talking about the people that we lay down with and, you know, either choose or don't necessarily choose to procreate with. Um, so many factors go into that, like education, like people who have education tend to choose partners, you know, within the same education level. And they tend to like have longer relationships, more healthy relationships, um, you know, income level, like it's just so many things that age, you know, so like, I can't, I can't preach about how, yeah, you know, you should, you treat the woman that you, you know, your baby mama or whatever. Cause I was off, I'm, you know, in a past relationship, I was very close to being that, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> um, like it could have been me as well. Uh, for all my good intentions, like I was with the wrong woman, woman, um, and you know she ended up pregnant, not keeping it. But if I would have had to, like, if I would have gone on and we would have kept that child, I I would have been miserable. You know what I'm saying? Like, and my actions, I don't know if my I don't know if I would have been able to hide that for the sake of a child. You know, so but I, again, I was 24, <laughs> you know, like 23, 24. Um, not a lot of money. So like these things, like they restrict like how well we choose the person that we, that we're with. Like I would not have chosen her, you know, not even two years, five years later, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Let alone 10 years later. Um, like again, it goes back to like the London thing. Like we just, we have to be better. People have to be better about choosing these relationships with long-term consequences because we're not just doing disservices to ourselves and the person we're with, but like it's a whole child. And like, and it, it, it does, it does create a cycle to where, you know, I, I look at it my, myself, me and all my friends, none of us grew up. Well, only one of us grew up with a father in the house. Right. Like, and that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, because these, um, nuclear families are, are kind of a thing of the past, you know, father, you know, one father, one mother and a bunch of kids and they're all same last name. Like that's the thing of the past, but where it does affect is that you grow up not, not understanding what a toxic relationship is or what a good relationship is. Like you, do we know the difference? Do, are we able to spot these, the intricacies that could, will let you know, like, Hey, you're probably going to be miserable with this person. Or this is probably not something that you should be, engage with on a day-to-day -day basis so like we ended up like learning these things later in life like it wasn't until i was you know damn at 30 to where i was like okay oh this is how i you know engage in a relationship this is how i treat somebody like on a day-to-day -day basis um it's not just like physical or i'm not cheating so i'm a good man or i'm a good husband good good uh boyfriend whatever it's a lot more to that. We don't learn these things because we come from these cycles of bad relationships. I think that's the bigger thing. Like, and again, this is something that goes beyond race. It's like, we just we're shitty at, at choosing relationships, mm -hmm. friendships, 
um, work relationships, <laughs> like romantic relationships. Like we're just really bad as people because of a thousand factors. But like, that's the thing I think that needs to be, if we can clean that up on a, on a broad level and just say, hey, maybe don't choose the person who doesn't value you or who talks to you in this particular way, or who does not, you know, put your, put you before them at least, you know, a good amount of the time. Like these are the things that we don't learn. So like we ended up, we ended up learning these things well into these, these long-term relationships. Like I've, I learned how to be a good husband midway through <laughs> my marriage. You're like, this is <laughs> because I didn't have that model going into it. So yeah, like that, that's why I start looking at like people like London and Summer and whoever, like these other examples we have of just bad relationships. And like, like you said, I just want more. <laughs> I want more for y'all. <laughs> I, you know, I, I would say the past six years, I learned of the term emotional intelligence. And I never knew that term. Like I did not know I, I did not grow up with that. Uh I my parents didn't teach me emotional. Let's have emotional intelligence talk. Like, no, it was not a thing. And I was learning about, I'm like, wait, there's a way to speak to people <laughs> that that meets their the their emotions and their needs. And um there, there's a way to be keen to that. There's a way to know what or how to how to be in a relationship and growing up I I have two parents in the household still married and I you know people like to say oh well at least your parents are married at least you know x y and my parents are great they are married and they're great and all but um not throughout their marriage did I witness great examples of what a love romantic relationship looks like and oftentimes when you are like has a child of immigrant parents and growing up in Boston, I have many peers who are in the same boat, like children of immigrant parents. And the, like expressions of love is not a thing. Like what? Mm -hmm. Like we don't say I love you like that. And just now my mom is saying I love you. Just now my dad says it too, but like it, it, it just wasn't a thing growing up. And it, it happens only when you get into trouble and they want to remind you, you know, I love you, right? <laughs> like after <laughs> you hit me. Okay. So I think like. Like, you know, love to me was not uh, a clear thought of, of a healthy relationship. I immediately assumed that, okay, well, toxic love is what is where it's at. You know, if he's not, if he's not yelling at me, he don't love me. Right. <laughs> if he's not calling me back in a timely manner, he doesn't love me or he doesn't really fuck with me like that. You know, if he's not, um, you know, gaslighting me, you know, leaving me on red, ghosting me, then, oh, he's, he's not, he's thirsty. Like, I don't want, you know, mm. I want my nigga to chase, you know, not be available. <laughs> I mm. would really, when I tell you it's crazy saying it now, because I would really mm. believe that bullshit. Like what the fuck mama? <laughs> I would believe that bullshit. And you know, I'm not, a, I know I'm not alone. And, I think about like, you know, what does that, like, what does that mean to you? Emotional intelligence? What does it mean? What does toxicity mean? What does that mean? Because, you know, maybe my perspective, just my perspective as a black woman, but maybe it means the same for you as a black man. But <laughs> love is just, you learn as you grow, right? You know, you get older, you learn more, you have more experience and you evolve. And thank God, like, I'm so grateful for growth. I'm always seeking to, to grow more. And I just wish I knew some things before. Like, I wish, I don't know. Yeah, but go ahead. 
Um, emotional intelligence for me means being able to like step outside of yourself and recognize like those cues, those human cues that people give off all the time, um, subconsciously or not, and being able to make the correct be able to react in the, in the correct way, you know, and so, so often, um, because as human beings, we tend to look within ourselves, right? Like how I feel, what I want to do, what I want to eat, what I, you know, how I want to spend my time and realize like you're in a, a relationship with somebody else. And like, it's just this tennis match back and forth of, um, kind of submitting like giving up part of yourself for this other person uh or recognizing when you should give up part of yourself for this other person but like because people are naturally passive aggressive people give off these cues <laughs> like i'm hurt <laughs> like i mean i say that i'm hurt but i'm hurt and it's vis it's like very visible like and it's very obvious or the thing that you said I didn't like, or I'm I'm bothered, or I'm hungry. Like just these different cues. And if your if your emotional intelligence is high, you know, which comes from experience, honestly, and it comes from like having those um like really crucial conversations with yourself and like other people, especially your partner, then you're able to recognize those things and act accordingly. Um but like that takes unlearning a lot of the selfish things that we carry into these relationships just in general you know they're like i i, I can only speak from, from experience um i'm somebody as you know my reputation is that i'm you know bluntly honest <laughs> like this was passed down to me from my, my mother you know and her mother before like this is just this is how i grew up this is the family i grew up in so long i i would be like supremely blunt supremely blunt and because the the women that i was with they understood where i got it from i just i use that as a crutch it's like well you know me like you know my family we're just blunt that's just how we are like you hear that a lot that's just how i am this yeah. is what i do and like wow. you're a fucking asshole <laughs> like that's yeah. how you are like, <laughs> you're you're a cheater that's how i am does he know what the family are? like what no yeah but like it, it can't be that way forever you know what i'm saying like i also have this tendency uh, i'm an introvert like i just there's times where i just want to be within myself i want to just sit quietly read and i don't want to be bothered i don't want to be talking just to you. clarify you're not an asshole i don't think you're an asshole to the listeners i don't think you're an mm, asshole. i am well, okay well. <laughs> I, and like I haven't experienced asshole, <laughs> at least not yet, but we'll see. Oh, man, I have. You know, <laughs> you know, I can't take that back. <laughs> um, but I can't I can't rest on that. I can't just be like, well, I'm an asshole, like get over it. Like, no, I have to be functional. I have to be functionally employed. I have to be functionally married. I have to be a functional father. So like I just uh, step outside of your habits and you know Go ahead. Yeah, it's just it's just empathy. Empathy. You yeah. know, empathy is hard. You know, I, as much like I, I could cry while watching a movie. I could cry while watching a commercial. Like, oh my gosh, this is so, like, I could see the message in it. Like, a Disney movie would, what? 
there was there was a it wasn't even this movie it was uh it's over the moon it's on netflix oh my gosh you should watch it like it's really good <laughs> but um I don't know if it, yeah it's really good i don't you want to watch it with your children but like or just buy it like i watch it by myself like it's that good alone as an adult but um i uh was watching it and it, it tells you about like how losing someone whether it's due to death or just the, the the end of a marriage, the end of a relationship, losing someone impacts you so much that you feel so, like you feel unable, like you are handicapped from moving on. And moving on is just not even a, an option. And I think about like, damn, like I, I don't know how to move on sometimes when it comes, when I think about past relationships or situations I've been in. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, well, I'm just gonna stay in this place until I figure it out. But mm -hmm. I I feel arrested, like, you know, arrested development. There is mm -hmm. there is this, this call where you are trapped in that relationship in 08, that relationship mm -hmm. in 2012. And how... I don't know how we got to this part, but like moving on, I think about emotions and intelligence, you know, empathy. It, it's just, there isn't a playbook or there wasn't one when I was growing up. And now you have to actively seek, like you have to go, okay, how to move on one-on-one. Let's watch, let's listen to a podcast. Let's watch a YouTube video on that. And I just don't, you know, you get so comfortable in how you just been, you know, as you were saying, you know, there's a lot of unlearning and I, sometimes it feels like it never ends. Like, oh, can I just be here? Can I just be here? <laughs> no, you have to, oh, we got to unlearn that too. Like, oh, you, you have an attitude problem in the morning. We got to unlearn that. Like, I, can I just have an attitude? <laughs> so one of the, one of the things that I tell people, um, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, I've, I've had a lot of experience with like, talking people through moving on. And like the biggest thing that I tell people is that you gotta forgive yourself for like making a bad decision. Like um, one of my best friends, you know, went through a divorce and like I, I remember telling him like, hey dog, you just gotta forgive yourself. Like you chose the wrong woman, it happened. You know what I'm saying? Like we've all been there and we put so much stock in ourselves and our ability to like make the right decision that like our self-esteem gets, gets wrapped up into it. Right, mm -hmm. people who's the person, and that's really all bad relationships. Like you chose the wrong person, you ignore some cues, you ignore some things that would have let you know that this was the wrong person, and you just kept chugging on because that's what we do. We chug on, we get comfortable in our situations, and we chug on. Like you gotta take a step back and be like, you know what? I chose the wrong person, right? Like for whatever reason, like I don't know whatever I was going through at the moment, I chose the wrong person, or I was not in the right space at the time of said relationship mm -hmm. to act accordingly or to elevate this relationship, uh, whatever, it happens. <laughs> you're like, we're, yeah. human beings are not really good at this. You're like, we're not great at this. Like the, the fact that any, like, I remember hearing a lot about like how marriages, like the divorce rate was at like 50%. I think of that as a success. <laughs> like, because like, that's a lot. <laughs> like, that's a lot yeah. of marriages that, that end up working, you know what I'm saying? Or, or go the long, long haul. Because human beings just, aren't, just really aren't good at this. We're not good at making long-term decisions like that. Like, in any arena, you know what I'm saying? Like, occupationally or whatever. Like, we're not even good at choosing, like, the right musicians to, to like, be fans of. Like, we, we're not good at this. 
So right. we can't even pick the, the right song when we're in the car. Right. Like we, we, you have to learn to like forgive, like, forgive yourself. Like, and I think that's a, that's one of the biggest obstacles I've seen from people because like people just beat themselves up. Like, how how can I be so stupid? I can be like, well, people are stupid sometimes. Like yeah. the thing about stupidity is if you can unlearn it and you know take the message and, and apply that, then you know you're good. But like, yeah, you got to forgive yourself first. So. Ooh, that's a word. Oh my gosh, Jones. That okay, a bar. It's a bar. I'm telling you. <laughs> a whole bar. Okay, <laughs> rapper Jones, MC Jones. I I love that. Forgive yourself. You know, we're not we're not perfect. We make mistakes and we fall short and it's, it's okay. You can move on. You can do better. Oh, that's so good. Okay. I, to wrap us up, Obama's on a tour. He, he released a book and um, do you have it already? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, this guy, a book nerd, like I, the whole bookshelf. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I've been watching nothing but Obama interviews the last like, Two weeks, so yeah, I'm about to dive into this tonight. Okay, good. Okay, so I forgot to add it to the agenda, but you're already um, well versed. So there, I think it was on the Breakfast Club, or was it with the Oprah uh, interview? But he, um, he was asked, you know, what's your what's your critique on people's negative, you know, critique on you for not doing enough for black people when you were in office for eight years. And he, I believe he said, you know, there was, he had a lot of work, a lot of work couldn't have been done because of the 200 years and, you know, because of our history. Um, what, what, what do you say on that? Cause there is a lot of you know, you know, after the fact, you know, while he was in, you know, not in prison, while he was in the presidency, he, you know, my president is black, you know, Jeezy was mm -hmm. on, you know, you have the shirts on like, oh, okay, you know, my president looks like me. Great. Now, you know, since he's been out of the office, there's been so such harsh critique on his, his role and, you know, what he could have done, what he shouldn't have done and all this X, Y, and Z. What, what's your, like, you know, what do you think about that? Cause I just, I think it's tricky, you know, yes, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of work to be done and where do you begin? But people feel like, you know, he didn't begin anywhere. Like what could he have done or what he did? What did he do? Maybe we missed it. We missed a lot. <laughs> a lot is missed because um, Obama didn't brag about a lot of the things that he did that I, w I won't say that he did for black people because I don't think he sat down and said, let's, let's enact this policy because it will absolutely help African-Americans and only African-Americans. I think what he sat down and said was let's enact some, some things that will affect people of marginal, you know, marginalized groups of which African-Americans are, you know, at the bottom, you know, this, this, um, this, this really, we are we're harmed more than other groups. So like um, the changing over the um, it was the disparity between crack and, and cocaine, like the, the sentences that were doled out from there, mm -hmm. like that's something that affects black people more. Um, the ACA, like, yeah, a lot of people across the country did not have health insurance, but this was, you know, disproportionately African-Americans who were left out of, you know, having um standard health care 
Um, thing, my brother's keeper, which I have criticisms of, but like that was something that was aimed specifically at black men. Um, the cast for clunker, like there's a, there's a lot of things on his record that he did, like you know changing up some of the immigration, like there was a lot of things that he did that had positive effects for uh, black people. Hell, his first year in office, um, they raised the federal funds for ABCUs like this is his first year. Uh-huh. Um, right. like he did 40, that, yes. Yeah, like forty billion. Yeah, like there are a lot of things trying to make community college free for all, for all people. Like this is these are things, these are ideas that are now kind of mainstream in the Democratic Party that started in the Obama administration. And I think that he couldn't just come out here and be like, "Yeah, we're going to do this thing for Black people because of just the stigma of doing things for Black people in this country has never gone well." Like, and I think that speaks to just a larger, the larger caste system, uh, the, the larger like caste hierarchy that we have in, in this country where if people even think that what you're doing is going to disproportionately affect black people positively, then they, they it loses support. You know, like the eighth, uh, Obamacare was so unpopular because the, the myth was that it was being done specifically for black people as a handout. Right. So like mm-hmm. and it the support for it dropped immediately. And then just anything that Obama himself put forth lost support because it was seen through the lens of, of race. So um I think Obama did a lot of things for black people. Uh could he have done more? Yeah, but I I would extend that to say that the government, the federal government should do more. Like like I that was the Breakfast Club interview where he said like you can't expect for him to see in eight years that it took it took decades, centuries to get to this point in the first place. It's not going to be solved in uh, you know two terms, two presidential terms, um, especially with an intractable intractable. I can't say this word, <laughs> um, but with a Republican Congress and Senate that that was out to make him a one-term president. Like I think, despite those things, I think he did excellent and like transformative things my issues with obama more on the social level like the way that he would kind of talk down to certain black people uh kind of on the bill cosby pull your pants up and Mm kind of you know perpetuate this myth that black men are not you know or deadbeats or not in their kids lives which studies show is incorrect so like that's where my criticism obama comes from i think he could have been more of a fighter on certain things um i also understand why he was not so uh, on a policy level, I think he kind of he, he lived up to the most part of what he what he wanted to do. I think on a social level, I think he was a little bit more uh, disappointing to me. Somebody who like very much looks up to to him, I think he was disappointing in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Now I agree with that. I didn't like the whole Bill Cosby. I didn't like his rhetoric around you know how black men should behave and you know just their. Do you think that's because they're, you know, a lot of older black men, you know, the elderly, they they were raised in a in a certain way, you know, to be respectable, to be to look presentable, to, you know, not have your your pants low. Is that would you still say that's talking down to to black people or black men in particular or is it just like a generational gap? I think both. <laughs> I think um with the thing with Obama, you got to understand like who he is. Obama is a half white, 
half black dude who lives in Hawaii who from Hawaii went to, you know, Occidental from there to like Ivy League, you know, Columbia, Harvard. Um, I, I think he, in order for him to be who he is, he has to be able to see things from a black and white perspective. And sometimes too much of his white side uh, comes he out. Right. Yeah, it's like the whole, you know, perpetuating the myth about black men as fathers and stuff like that and the whatever, like that's part of his white side. I would hope it's part of his white side. Um, but like, I think that's just what makes him him. You know what I'm saying? It's probably, it's why he's not as optimistic. I mean, not pessimistic about race relations and racial progress in America is because he has to see it from like this, this hope, this optimistic, hopeful perspective, which if you've been, if you've been just strictly black your entire life, you've grown up in inner cities, you've seen segregation at the highest level, like you just, it's hard for you to be as, as optimistic as he is. But he had, like I said, he has to be that way in order for him to be who he is and, and be able to try to do the, the big things that he's done. Like, he couldn't have done it with, like, Jesse Jackson's perspective on race. Like, it just, it just wouldn't have worked. <laughs> right. Okay, final, I know I, I, know I keep on saying final, final, but... <laughs> You know, I can talk, Air, I can talk. Um, Airpods about to die. <laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> okay, so President-elect Joe Biden is the president-elect, and many, the whole Republican Party is feeling that it was fraudulent and mm -hmm. that Trump will get the next four years and it's going to the Supreme or that it already is in the Supreme and they're figuring it out. Like, it's mm -hmm. as if, like, it's so much, like, they feel this so intently that I'm feeling like, is there going to be a twist? Like, is it going to be a plot twist? Like, is it not secure that Joe Biden is the president elect? Is it not secure that he will be inaugurated? Does it really matter if D Donald Trump um, concede? Cause it seems like, Oh, because he didn't concede, that means Joe Biden is not officially the president elect. Like I'm not privy on this. Are you? Um, there's no law that says that a president, needs to concede or anybody needs to concede um no it's it's i'll say 95 percent um probably more than that by 98 percent um the only the two percent i give is like you can't put nothing past these white people but like right <laughs> outside of that yeah he's he's been certified in in all the states that he won electoral votes are there all the recounts have come in his favor like this, he can't make it past like the district court. You can't make it past the circuit court. Like they're they're striking down like all these lawsuits. So like, it's not. It won't even make it to the Supreme Court because you got to get past the other courts. Um, but yeah, they, he he will not be president as of January twentieth. Uh, but again, can't put them past these white people, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. I know, right. Mm, okay <laughs> awesome thank you t dot jones thank you jones thank you. i appreciate appreciate it finally <laughs> <laughs> yes finally and we could definitely do it again for sure absolutely whenever you need me yay okay awesome thank you bye you guys thank you bye. thank you for tuning in to another episode of god built this podcast with your host maxine be sure to leave a review, give me five stars, and of course, subscribe. Also, follow God Built This Podcast on Instagram at God Built This Pod.
God bless.